Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Galloway and Isabel podcast. My name is Thomas Galloway. And to my right... Noah Galloway. And Noah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Okay, so we're getting ready for game two of the Denver Nuggets Portland Trailblazer series. Mm-hmm. Chilling out here. Yep. Ready to watch the game. And we're going to do a recap of the first two and a half weeks of the playoffs. Right, right. Uh, catch ourselves up a little bit, go through different series, give our general impressions. And then uh, would we don't want this to go on too long, honestly. Yeah, we'll keep it short and compact. A tight 30 is what we're aiming for. Yeah. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Morning Bell Coffee Roasters. Morning Bell offers a diverse and unique selection of specialty coffees and have a direct personal relationship with each of their suppliers. You can visit Morning Bell at 111 Main Street in Ames, Iowa, or get their coffee at the Wheatsfield Co-op or either Hy-Vee location in Ames. If you do not live in the Ames area, that is not a problem. You can order off their website, morningbellcoffee.com, and shipping is free anywhere in the United States if you order over two pounds of coffee. And whether you visit the actual location or order online, let them know we sent you. Okay, so let's do this. Let's go one by one through the series, starting at the very beginning, and give some quick impressions on each of them. And if they're not so quick, that's okay too. We'll work our way through. First of all, Milwaukee and Detroit. I watched a total of like about three minutes of this series. Yeah, same. I mean, Blake was out for the first couple of games, yeah. so it really it the Pistons certainly have a chance. Yeah, I think we all knew that, and I didn't even bother. I yeah. is is okay. So you know, check let's, one off. Yeah, on the next. Move on the next one. Okay, Boston, Indiana. I didn't really get a much chance to watch this series either. Yeah, I, this is some great analysis. I, know, I didn't either. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I think most people were surprised that Boston was able to take care of them that easily. Mm. The first couple of games were kind of close-ish, uh, but I don't think anybody really expected that. Uh, so, but at the same time, like because it was two zero really quickly, I watched a little bit of Game Three just to see if Indiana had something. Right. They didn't. No. Philadelphia, Brooklyn. I was pretty pumped after the first game that this would be a really good series. And it was a little chippy throughout, but this is another series. I'm realizing I have basically nothing to say about a number of these series. Exactly, yeah. But well, honestly, there's a lot of the first the first rounds the first round sucked this year. That's it. It did. As simple as we can put it. Last year, the first round was the best round, in my opinion, because you had the Jazz were really exciting. That Jazz OKC series was super exciting. And then after that round, it kind of tailed off a little bit. But the first round last year was really good. This year. Looking through this, Denver San Antonio was a good series, but only because it was close at the end. Like the yeah. individual games, I didn't really care about. It was kind of like when Monday Night Football a few years ago. Monday Night Football had a ton of close games. It was like one of the tightest differentials in is there in the history of the Monday Night Football games. Yeah, but that was only because all the teams sucked, <laughs> and the games were like thirteen right, to ten. Right. They're like thirteen to ten. Right. Um, and and so this was kind of how I felt about the Denver San Antonio series. It honestly wasn't that interesting. By the way, we've, we've tipped off here at Portland or Denver. And with the Denver-San Antonio series, I watched, we watched basically all of Game 7. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it wasn't that interesting of a series. No. So, but that was only a close one. Other than that, the series sucked. Toronto-Orlando, first game fun. After that, sucked. Same with Brooklyn-Philadelphia. Golden State-LA kept teasing us a little bit. I think it's, I think we should both point, both point out that we uh, are not fans of the Golden State Warriors. No, no. 
That, we, we want them to lose a lot. The 31-point comeback was pretty incredible. And yeah. then, then the game five was good when Ellis... The Clippers won. The uh, the game, game six. Yeah, game two, I shut off when there was probably about 31 points, honestly, and was but was still up and wasn't checking the score. I was on the phone and just completely forgot to. Just didn't even think about it. Yeah. And was really pissed at myself the next morning when I got on ESPN. And see that. Okay, so that series was fine-ish, but I think we all kind of knew what was going to happen. The, okay, let's get right to the point with our problem with Golden State. My problem with Golden State, okay, let me say this first. What I like about teams, when I really get into a team, it's when I feel like they have wrenched out every single ounce of talent and potential that they have. So you felt that way with the Clippers. You felt that way with the Jazz last year. Teams I've really gotten into. Rockets this year. Rockets. To some extent. Yeah. It's teams that have, you feel like, this team really can't be much better. They They really hung that rag out. They really did. And you never, ever feel like that with Golden State. Mm. You really don't. There's a few moments occasionally where you see what they're capable of, but the rest of the time they're sloppy. Yeah, exactly. They're careless. They're, they, mess, they're messy. They just toss the ball around. It's like they don't mm-hmm. even care because they know at the end KD will hit a step back yeah. and Clay and Steph will get hot and then they'll be good and they can just kind of fool around basically. Yeah. One of the most important things, so I think about quite often – if I was coaching a team and this be like at a high school level, what are certain things I would do? And discipline is one of the main things I would instill in my team. The lack of discipline will kill you. The problem with one of the problems with the NBA is that sometimes these teams are so talented and individual players are so talented that you can be undisciplined and it doesn't, it doesn't ultimately it won't hurt you that much that you lose a series. Mm -hmm. And that part is a little annoying about the Warriors and about, just and it's inherent with the NBA in general right. that aspect, but you know that's part of it, and that's why we've hardcore rooted against them the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. If we pointed out individually, I like every single player on that team. Yeah, and I really like that team the way they played, and then they went out and got KD, and kind of a coward move by KD to go there. Yeah, and also kind of a it kind of makes me question. Um, what motivates Clay and Steph and the rest of those guys if they're perfectly okay with having KD come? Yeah, it's like they don't really care about their legacy. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I completely get, especially if a guy doesn't want to play with Russell Westbrook anymore. Right, that makes sense. Right, and so like he has the freedom to make any choice he wants to make him happy. Exactly. But also, we have the freedom to say, like, well, that's not the boldest move of all time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, really, right. like, it's not the bravest. You, it, it's hard to say, like, that's, like, oh, this guy has so much honor. He went and joined a team. You know? right. So, and, and ultimately, no matter what the Warriors do in this run, they're always going to be the team that had the best record in regular season history and went out and got the second best player in the league. Exactly. They're always going to be that team. And... Uh, maybe in 20 years, kids looking back at the history books will be like, oh, this team won so many titles or whatever. Mm. But everybody who lives through this, I think we all think about it as in like exactly what I just said. Right. They were they were the team that had the best record, arguably the best team of all time if they had won that title. Yeah. And, and they went out and got the second best player. They're always going to be that team. That's as simple as it is. Right. And just like the, for the legacy of the rest of the players besides KD, it's kind of, like I said, it's kind of a coward move because I guess Curry and, and Clay and 
Draymond and Iggy didn't believe that they could do it themselves. Yeah. And so and they and then they went out and got well, KD. Yes. What I think this that whole move mostly tells us is that NBA players don't really care about their legacy. Right. At least some of them, mm-hmm. like we like we like to think they do, right. because it it is pretty obvious that the whole dynamic we just talked about of the record, regular season record, and then going out and getting the second best player that there's no way that does not hurt your legacy. Right, right. So clearly, they just want to have a good time, have fun playing, be the best team they can be, and honestly, like I kind of respect that, like. It's like hard to say like oh what a bunch of like losers like yeah. they just they, they just don't care about their legacy that much they don't have a good time and like I can kind of understand that I still want them to lose every time but uh, <laughs> I can kind of understand it yeah okay so we've talked a little bit about how bad the first round was and how we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on these series individually Houston Utah was disappointing I thought that series would be better right Portland. OKC was fun. Even though it was 4-1, that was a chippy series. I mean, and capped off by maybe the most, one of the most incredible shots I've ever seen. Right, right. Just the, the cool factor on that is off the charts. Mm. Just sitting out there at 35 feet, and then he's like, hey, wait, I'm going to dribble this down at two seconds and then step back some more and shoot it. I mean, that, that was right. so cool. <laughs> and his, la- his only reaction afterwards, just waving to the other team. Oh, that was perfect. It was really good. Okay, so... We we touched on Denver San Antonio how it's basically and also Go ahead. kind of on the series. It, I feel like we can all say that OKC has definitely has more talent. It's Westbrook and Paul George and the rest of those guys compared to basically CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. Yeah. And for them to for the for OKC to underperform like that is just I think kind of points to how Russ is just not He's just not the guy we thought he would be. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the thing about Dwight Howard. So back in when he was the best player on the team that made the finals, mm-hmm. and you're like, Dwight Howard, he's 23 years old, and he's dominating. He had 44 points in one of those games. Just wait till he develops a jump hook. Right, right. <laughs> and they never did. The thing about, yeah, the thing about Westbrook, he obviously so talented, averaged a triple-double, got the MVP. But it kind of like kind of makes you think that there might be something wrong with him, <laughs> mainly wild. because he just he's so wild. He takes everything so personally. He he's it feels when you watch him, it feels like he's going out looking for conflict, mm-hmm. and he'll do anything to create something that's conflictive. Yeah, and um, and he just takes really bad shots. Just doesn't doesn't seem to grasp what the just like the stakes. And how to make other people better? Not at all. It the lack of understanding of okay allowing his aggression to take over his whole entire mind was perfectly illustrated by last year's series against the Jazz. When after one of those games, I can't remember which one, Ricky Rubio somehow had a lot of points, right. and Russ took it upon himself to go guard Ricky Rubio the next game to shut him down. Because everybody's like, hey, how did Ricky Rubio score this many points? And he's like, oh, I got it. Right. First of all, that was definitely not their main concern. If he was if he was intent on being their best perimeter defender, mm-hmm. he should have been guarding Donovan Mitchell. Exactly. And, and not, so instead, he goes and not only does he decide to guard Rubio, which doesn't really matter that much from game to game throughout right. the whole series, 
he then gets super aggressive on Rubio to the point that he either fouls out or gets in a lot of foul trouble. Right. Completely counterproductive to everything OKC was trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Didn't probably really affect Utah that much. If anything, it helped them. And it's just like this. This you you a hard time. He he seems like a guy that has a hard time grasping the big picture. Like right. Russell Westbrook should never get a head coaching job in the league. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. If right. Russell Westbrook, because we know how the NBA does like to hire foreign players occasionally exactly. when they don't really maybe deserve opportunity. This this gets us a good point about coaching in general in the NBA. Is there are so many guys out there who would be very capable of coaching an NBA team, but the players would never respect them because right. because they didn't play or whatever. And that that's all it takes to undo mm-hmm. you. That is literally all it takes. Coaches who that's why these coaches who play in the league get chances all the time at being a head coach when they right. don't really deserve them. Even like Ty Lue and Jason Kidd getting interviewed for the Lakers job. Like, are we sure they're actually good coaches? Or Both those guys play? have connections to LeBron, and that's literally, right. that's literally that's all. it. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the and second. And kind of back on Utah, I think, um, it's like you were saying, how Westbrook guarding, should have been guarding Mitchell. And I think that's some mainly their problem against, against the Rockets and why that series was not good. It's because... Because Mitchell was, it felt like most of their possessions, miss, miss, uh, Mitchell was just like doing ISO the whole time. Yeah. And it was hard for them to do a whole lot. Yeah. That, Russ's decision to just shut down Ricky Rubio for some reason last year, or not shut him down, shows you another dynamic in the coaching in the NBA. Is that at any other level, the coach would be like, what you doing, bro? You know, you, yeah. you're not guarding Ricky Rubio. <laughs> That's not important to us. It doesn't matter that much. If you really want to shut somebody down, guard their best player. And because of the NBA and the players, the star players run things, mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't matter. And he's like, right. uh, no Billy Donovan. <laughs> I'm guarding Ricky Rubio. Okay, second round. Milwaukee-Boston, 1-1 right now. Game one, game two just finished up last night. We've had two blowouts either way. Once again, pointing to one of the craziest situations in the NBA is how... Teams can blow each other out. Just take turns blowing each other out. That mm. is so strange to me how that happens. Right. I don't know if I'll ever completely understand how one team can win by 20 and the next team, the other team can win by 20. Right. I, I don't get that. But that's the way it goes. And and the NBA's the players are so – when a player does get hot or a couple players get hot on the same team, what would be like an 8-point lead in a high school level is now a 20-point lead. Like they just have the ability to blow things out so fast. Uh, and that, that part makes it exciting, but also a little disappointing sometimes when you're like, oh, this game. Like, the Boston game last year was yesterday was close, and then all of a sudden it's a blowout. Like right. It was literally a one-point game at halftime, and then now it's a blowout. But that series, okay, well, this brings us to a good topic. In our little NBA playoff preview a few weeks ago, excuse me, I predicted, I offered a word of, what should I say, caution to everybody who is saying that Giannis was going to just completely dom in, in, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I told everybody, we've gone, we saw Giannis live a number of times. And right. the, one, the one thing that struck me in all those games was how when teams, this was regular season games, but there are points in close regular season games where teams clamp down a little bit. And when they did, I, I forgot that Giannis was their best player at times. Right. And honestly forgot. Like I didn't I was like, and then Giannis would score be like, oh, there's Giannis. Right. And 
that's what I noticed about him, which was kind of crazy because he would go the first couple of quarters just doing these insane Euro steps, getting from the free throw line, or getting from the three point line to the basket in two steps. It's just wild stuff. And you still see that sometimes. And I'm not saying it won't happen, but that game one showed me, and it, I think kind of proved what I was warning about a little bit correct because he seemed completely lost. He's not that great at passing. He did make some threes at the end of the game to bump his scoring up a little right. bit. But he, he is not, his shooting is a problem, and his inability, his, I should say, like, he he's not a great passer off of a double yeah. team and all that stuff, and that, that hurts. Yeah, I think sometimes he has a tough time just getting by people mm-hmm. because he's seven foot, he's a big dude, he can't just run right by you. And, um, and then especially when Al Horford and the rest of those guys create that wall, and then they force, say, Pat Connaughton to hit open three, which... Which hasn't really been following recently. Yeah. And Giannis's defense, they were talking about after the game how poorly everybody else in the Bucks played in that game. Right. They they snapped back in game two. If I had to pick right now, I would lean toward the Celtics. The, the experience in the playoffs is a big thing. Right. And it's really and they have a lot of guys who can step up and exactly. win, win a game for them. I, I trust Kyrie at the end of the game. If you're gonna put in it, he's. Among probably five or six players that you completely trust on that stretch, just going and getting a bucket when you need it. Yeah. The, this brings me to a couple complaints I have. This whole thing. So I I was joking with people like afterwards, like uh, you know, like would you who would you rather start a team with right now, Al Horford or Giannis after Game One? Mm-hmm. And like, there's some people. You know how like a March Madness. When March Madness comes around, all the people who know nothing about basketball, I'll start talking about basketball, and every all the actual basketball people know it. You're like, oh, j- j- shut, shut up. <laughs> and this is and this is one of the situations where people are like actually telling me why Al Horford, why you would start a team with Giannis over Al Horford. <laughs> the fuck, <laughs> Al Horford's the fifth best asset on that team at best. Right. If you were starting a team, you take Kyrie, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward. It may be even more, probably more, over Al Horford if you're starting a team right now. I'd probably right. take Terry Rozier over him. Right. And uh, and so it's just like, it's funny. Like, everybody clearly identifies themselves as either they're being, either they, like, by treating, treating your question, your joke question as legitimate, you're like, okay, you obviously don't know anything. Right. Um, and the other thing, so... The whole idea of having these statistic models to determine who the best players are, what the best shots are, and all that stuff, which is really good. It's a, been, it's a huge improvement to the game. People like Daryl Morey and similar, that whole money ball concept is transition, is, has come to the NBA for the last six or seven years, right. and it's great. But I don't like people who, a poorly, a stat, a stat model for NBA players that is based on insufficient statistics is one of the worst things ever. Because right. it leads people to come to what they consider solid conclusions about stuff because they have so-called evidence. But they're using stats that aren't that are insufficient. Mm-hmm. And one of those perfect examples, so I was hearing people talk about this this one of my one person I work with or used to work with, but he still works at the company, but I he just whatever, anyway. Long story. He developed this statistic model for evaluating players and teams and stuff. Right. But it does not get 
to the heart. He doesn't, it's not good enough. Right. And so they're talking about individual matchups between players. Matchups between players are, is super overrated. First of all, with the amount of switching in the NBA, the individual matchup is not that important. Right. Because teams will switch it. And we saw it last night in the Golden State-Houston game when, so Golden State uh, wanted KD with the ball on Harden. Right. So what Houston did to address that switch opportunity, because they would always just switch with Harden onto Durant, right. is they just put Harden on Durant in the first place, and then when they screened, then Tucker switch switch on to him and whatever. Right. But the NBA is so smart that they realize that right away, and they're like, okay, we'll just skip the screen, mm-hmm. and we'll show the ball to Durant right away, and have Harden on him, and that's what we want. Right. And these individual matchups are so overrated. It's like, oh, Jimmy Butler. I'm excited for the Jimmy Butler Kawhi Leonard matchup. Okay, well, if Kawhi Leonard has a ball and the Rockets want another defender on him, they're going to go do it. It's that yeah. simple. It's like when Kyrie and LeBron... It takes five seconds. To it takes five seconds, matchup. yeah. The matchup is and not that important. That's one of the most overrated things. Is And that's what happens a lot of these times in these bad statistical models is they pay too much attention to the matchups. Right. It's like, okay, cool. Well, first of all, for a third of the game at least, they're going to be sub- subs, and you're probably not going to have this matchup in the exactly. first place. And then the other two thirds of the game, they're just gonna get the switch they want anyway. Right. That's just how it works. And so, and and these, it's a funny thing. It's like, okay, you can develop a statistical model, but you watch basketball for five minutes, and what actually happens, and it doesn't work. Right now, I'm all for like for good statistical models. That's that's perfectly fine, and right. a lot of them are super helpful. And honestly, the worst, the person, the only person that annoys me most in this whole conversation, than the person who has a bad statistical model and relies on it too much is the person who doesn't think statistics belong at all. Right, That's right. the worst person. They're usually the older person yeah. who's like, stats, like what's the point of that? Mm-hmm. There's a good balance in between. It's kind of like politics. There's a good balance somewhere in between, between these two sides. And Yeah, it's the same person <laughs> who says that LeBron will never have a chance, ever have right. a chance to be Jordan. Yeah. The anti-stat guy is definitely the Jordan over LeBron guy. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> and it's impossible to change. Impossible LeBron can do nothing ever to, yeah. to I, change that. And that's like exactly what the Cavs did. Um, they would just have, well, Steph would probably be guarding Kyrie. They'd do a screen with LeBron. And then whoever Curry ended up guarding... Then LeBron and Kyrie would just take on. And they started they out. They absolutely killed that. They, uh, I don't know if at the beginning of the series they were doing this, but the 2016 series, uh, Steph was on JR, Clay was on Kyrie, and somebody was on LeBron. And then they would uh, and they would just do a LeBron JR screen and get Steph on him. Okay. Yes, toast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a, uh, a thing that people may not have thought about a whole lot, but would. When the, if the if the Warriors were to play, how do I put this? The Warriors might not be that might be better off without stuff. Like really, so okay. So this is this is most mostly just an intellectual. This is just an intellectual exercise, honestly. Right. But if you think about, do you need more scoring than what you have with KD Clay? And everybody else besides Steph, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Maybe you might need more scoring. In some games, you should, you could, you you would want more scoring. But Steph is one of the biggest defensive liabilities in the league. I, plenty of people have said this, so this is not breaking news. Right. But would you rather have a team with KD, Clay, and a and bunch of really like good defenders? Beverly or something. Yeah, someone like Beverly, 
because you have plenty of scoring with that team, you're locking down in every position. And that's a really good team. Right. But with Steph, you have to you obviously have to play him if you have him on your team. Mm-hmm. He is going to add a lot, and he's probably going to win a game for you each series. Right. But would you win the game anyway? Maybe. Would you, instead of beating them, so, okay, just say, each series, if you don't have Steph, you win 4-2, but if you have Steph, you win 4-1. Right. But in the series that the other team could beat you, you don't lose if you don't have Steph. Right, right. Because Steph injects that little extra carelessness and then lack of defensive uh, ability that will actually make you lose a series. Right. So it's, it's kind of like in poker where you have certain bets that will, you want your bet to actually bluff out. If you have the worst hand, you want your bet to actually be able to make people with a better hand fold. Right. But the worst kind of bet is the bet that you're only knocking out people who have a worse hand than you anyway, which you want to stay in. And people who have a better hand than you are calling. And that's the absolute worst kind of bet in poker. So that's where I'm kind of drawing a little analogy here. Right. But I'm just saying, it's worth a thought. Would the Warriors be better off or worse off with Steph in a series where they're playing some serious competition? Right. And they're probably still better off with him, but it's at least worth some thought. Because you, at a certain point, you definitely have a lot of diminishing returns with scores right. on a team. And defensively, certain guys hurt you. And Steph is right. definitely one of those guys. And like, sort of thought. None, none, of, none of those three guys will ever, I feel like, max out um, playing the way they do. And it's it, it's kind of, I think about, like, they none of those three guys have the pressure to to score, say, compared to, like, a Dame or a James right. Harden. They're, like, those three guys, whoever is hot, they just, those are the guys who score, who score. It doesn't really matter if, like, if Steph scores 15 points, it's okay, because KD's probably going to score, like, 35 or so. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of interesting how how we're watching the game. And we always kind of associate the Warriors with being able to pass it around. They're constantly moving, passing it around. And in those pivotal possessions, they were just all standing there, tossing it, tossing it to KD. Mm-hmm. He was just doing a step back. Jumpers. Yeah. That's like it's so it's so strange because we because we've watched the Warriors play the way they have the past five years and now it's just it's just a shell of itself. Really. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. So with the Houston series, I mean, a lot of people don't like the way Houston plays, and that's completely reasonable. Sometimes it's, you know, it's like, you guys just stand around a lot. But, I mean, I still want, I still rooting for them. <laughs> it's, it's mostly about the, like I said before, it's about the, are you getting all you can out of your guys? And just because of all the talent they have, Golden State will never get that. It's right. just, I mean, if they, if they got all they could out of all their guys, these series wouldn't be close. They wouldn't be, be four hour every time. Right. And that's the frustrating part about it. It's just that like it and feels somewhat inevitable that they're still going to win, but they're not going to play. I, I want the team that wins a title to play their max potential right. and to feel completely wrung out afterwards and to show it. So like, in the end of 2016, that Cleveland, Kyrie just... Well, first of all, it was a lot of emotion with Cleveland 
with LeBron getting Cleveland the title. Right. But it felt like they got every single ounce of ability and energy and focus and toughness out of that team. Mm-hmm. And that was so satisfying to watch. I have not felt that the last two years with the Golden State team. Right. And with the current setup, I will never. it is unlikely that we will see that, where we feel like they got every single thing they could out of every single one of those guys. Right. I mean, like that Cavs team, they feel like they run everything out with Kyrie and LeBron's 41 mm-hmm. points, LeBron's triple-double in Game 7. Um, Tristan Thompson, you think about him being able to sw- switch on Steph and guarding him really well. And then kind of a kind of a perfect encapsulation of J.R. Smith as a player. Just him hitting eight straight points to mm-hmm. bring him back in the game in, in third quarter. Yeah. Everything in that series, like, those players played the way they played their max, and they did exactly who they are as a player. They, they, they just maxed everything out. They really did. Okay, so... I guess suppose we should address the other two series in round two briefly. Toronto, Port, or uh, sorry, Portland, Denver. We really haven't got too far into. We're right. kind of watching game two right now. Mm-hmm. Game one, Denver. I, I wasn't super intrigued by the game honestly. I mean, Dame is obviously super fun to watch. Right. But I would definitely say that's the least intriguing series of the second mm-hmm. round by far. Exactly. And it actually, as uh, you, you pointed you out could, the other night... You can make the argument that Portland and Denver are the two worst teams in the playoffs so far. In the semifinals, yeah. Yeah, they're left. The teams that are left. I think that wouldn't be a hard argument to make. I they're Okay, so Golden State and Houston are obviously better. Yeah. Golden State-Houston. Okay, who is saying... Who would argue that Golden State-Houston is not the finals? These are not the two best teams. Bucks fans, maybe Toronto fans, mm-hmm. and that's about it. Yeah, Toronto fans, you could kind of say that after game one with Kawhi's 45 points. Mm-hmm. But Philly made an adjustment, and they, I don't know what they held him to, but they definitely clamped down on him in game two yeah. and ended up winning that. Well, honestly, being real here, probably every single, fan, every single team's fans would argue for their team. But most objective NBA fans would say, this is the finals. Right. I, I mean, really, like, seriously. Jeez. Um, <laughs> that was me cracking a dark chocolate piece. Dark chocolate. Okay, so Portland, Denver. Yeah, we just talked about that. Nothing to talk about. Philly, um, I don't really know what else we have to say about this. Okay, well, ranking the teams, Phil, uh, Milwaukee's better than Denver or Portland. I think. Absolutely. Boston's hard to tell for sure. But probably. I feel like they are, yeah. I think I think you could definitely say that uh, out of these eight semifinal teams, Portland and Denver are seven and eight. Exactly. Not sure which order, but it does seem that way. Yeah, with the way Boston the the way Boston took care of the Pacers and the way they took care of Milwaukee in game one, the the best regular season team in the league, I feel like you can't I feel like you have to put those above Denver and Portland. Yeah. I mean, I definitely Denver. So I think Denver is pretty clearly eight. Right. If we're to power rank this. Let's just do a fucking power ranking right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so number one, Golden State. You have to. Number two, Houston. Mm-hmm. Number three. Okay, this is tough. I, I'm i going to say... Uh, Honestly, I feel like it's Toronto. I think so, too. Kawhi's really... Or Boston. 
They stole one against the team with the league's league's best record, right? Right. So either Boston or Toronto. Yeah, Toronto with obviously Siakam has come on and become better. Mm-hmm. But year. Philly did steal one on the road. That's true. But they're also super inconsistent. It's well, okay. So if you had to say, based on the whole idea of stealing one when you shouldn't have won it, it should really be Golden State. Houston, just because they're still probably the second best team. Boston, Philly. Right. And then because we think Denver's not really that good, then Denver's probably Denver. Um, so oh, this is actually difficult. Okay, so okay, power ranking. Golden State and Houston have one and two locked down. Three, would you give it to... I think we give it to Boston. I, th- I think so. If you compare Kyrie to Kawhi... I'd probably rather have Kyrie at the end of a game mm-hmm. trying to score a bucket. Well, and Kyrie in the Boston beat Milwaukee on their home floor in game exactly. one by a lot. And Milwaukee, I think, had the best record this year, right? Right. We're definitely the best in the East, obviously. So Boston, then I think you have to say either, then I think you have to go Philly just because they stole one in Toronto. Currently, this is power, like, it's not about what we think the best team is, it's about current power rankings. Philly has an advantage in that series right now. They stole yeah. one on the road. And if they yeah. win the next two games at home, which is definitely possible, they have a good chance to go in the conference finals. In Milwaukee, like they played great in the regular season, but they couldn't make it to round two last year in the in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And they they lost to a team that didn't have Kyrie or Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Wait, what team are you talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, Milwaukee. Yeah. Right. Okay, so let's... Okay, so we have... Golden State, Houston, Boston, Philly. And then... Uh, it's, it's so difficult, honestly. I don't know what the power rankings are. I, like, can you put anybody... Can you? Is there any way you can put Denver or Portland ahead of Milwaukee or Toronto? I mean, even though they are up 1-0 in their series, I don't think you can. I don't think so. And honestly, I didn't feel like that surprised by Denver winning in Game 1. Right. It was like they came off a lot of energy off winning the game seven. Um, I don't honestly like I don't know how Jamal Murray finished up with points, but you're gonna have games where he's playing well. And mm-hmm. It's gonna go your way. But I personally do not have anything else to say about these playoffs. I don't think. I mean, we could talk about the um, whole landing, the refereeing issue in the. Uh, well, just generally. The ref, the players yelling at refs is a really big problem. Yeah, and Michael Lewis, author of Moneyball, The Blind Side, The Big Short, and a bunch of other books, now has a podcast. It's called Against All Rules. I think I sent it to you guys today. I, I forgot what it's called exactly, but it's Michael. Just type Michael Lewis against on your podcast app. He was a really good podcast. His first episode was about the whole referee issue in the NBA. How players always complain to the referees, usually star players. And he basically talked about this huge, he talked about the uh, Secaucus replay center mm. that the refs run in New Jersey. Right. And how they invested a huge amount of money in that for usually, on average, two calls a game that they're right. changing. I forget how many millions they invested. But it was 15 million. 15 million. Do you listen yeah. mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, his whole point about this podcast is basically the whole idea of how our investment in fairness right. and how we 
are a lot of people are playing, you know, the victim card about certain situations and really want everything to be perfectly fair. That's the whole podcast is about. I haven't gotten too far into it. But the first episode was specifically about NBA referees. Right. And he talks a little bit about the effects that these players complaining about fouls all the time has and that now kids are doing it all the time. And I guess right. that's pretty obvious, but I'm not really watching like Little League basketball <laughs> often. So I'm not really thinking about that. And also the other thing is it's encouraging. They were talking about referees being pretty commonplace to have death threats and all that stuff and right. needing security and stuff. And players complaining about fouls is definitely not helping that. Mm-hmm. If when players act like it's a like they're getting ripped off, then fans feel like they're getting ripped off, and it's this huge trickle-down effect. And it's a real problem. It needs to be... It's not, there was a point in 2012 or 2013 or 2011, jeez. Dude, this guy's bleeding Dang. crazy. Wow. This is some wild stuff. Sorry, guys. We're uh, Guys got knocked in the face. face. Well, the nose is probably the nose, and that can bleed pretty quickly. Yeah. My only injury in basketball ever was yeah. getting popped in the nose. <laughs> Bill Simmons was talking about now how whenever a call is made, the players who who got the foul calling them they act like they got like somebody got kidnapped or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of annoying. But uh, and, it's, and like occasionally you'll watch a foul happen and then you watch the replay and they hacked them like crazy. Yeah, it's like what are you like what are you doing? Have you ever played basketball before? It's like. It's obviously a foul. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's a lot of control. What I was going to say before we got distracted is that uh, back in 2011 or 2012, there was a point where referees were calling tees on everything. Right. And if a player like turned around so like running away, you would get like nervous. You know like, when ter- players turn around and like, sprint off like kind of like pissed. Right. You get nervous if they got called for a foul. Like they, they would call for a tee. Right. That is definitely not a concern now. I mean, mm-hmm. these everything has happened. These guys are yelling the rest faces that's that's like the most extreme and ultimately what are these guys really gaining by doing this now right. i think there's some people like coach k who use their their um reputation the reputation not so much their reputation their status their status as a way to intimidate officials right. but in a somewhat subtle way mm-hmm. like coach k doesn't yell super loud all the time at officials i've seen him do it a couple times but he'll sidle up to officials like when they're near him and he'll fairly aggressive not aggressively but very directly address something and he's clearly complaining about stuff but he's doing it in a way to kind of intimidate them and help him actually in the future get calls right where they're scared of coach k right and that is, that is a that if you're going to do it that's the way to do it exactly. but this just like yelling at officials in their face is never going to work and that's that is the most annoying part when the guys are like invading the personal bubble of the officials Turning around and like being pissed is like okay, whatever, fine. But actually, getting up these officials and like yelling right in their face is so obnoxious. Right. It's so strange. Like, it, it just it violates every single way you deal with human beings. Exactly. So, you know that part's annoying. But there were definitely some calls in that. Some of those yeah. calls in the Houston game should have been violations. Yeah. So in the press post post game conference. D'Antoni said that said that there are four three-point shots that should have been called fouls. And he said that after the game. And apparently, I didn't know this, but officials will talk to the coaches or something or the team okay. that 
and say like what they missed or something. Yeah. And then and obviously that didn't didn't really change didn't really um, change the second half because there were a few more that probably should have been called. I don't know about those those three, but there were definitely four after the first half that they admitted that it should have been called. Gotcha. Which that's twelve free throws right there. And when you have a close game that it's like a three point game right at the end and that's that's a real game changer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The NBA in that podcast, Michael Lewis talked about how the NBA sends uh, basically a document of the calls that were missed in the game and explanations to each team after the game. Right. They, they put a bunch of videos and stuff online that you can see. So transparency is a very high emphasis for them. And part of it has to be driven a little bit by the whole Donahue situation. Exactly. And just a little bit of a fear of people thinking it's all a big conspiracy. And, and like defending the refs, a lot of these calls, a lot of the calls in the NBA that are happening are 50-50 calls. Like you could call that either way. It's so hard. It's, yeah. it's obviously one of the, the easily the most difficult sports to ref. Yeah, definitely. Well, we've done about 40 minutes here. Exactly. I don't have anything left. Right. We'll come back uh, who knows when, but we'll try to do some minutes, offense. Wow. What we need to do is have a more more uh, planned out podcast. <laughs> right, right. We need to have some segments. What are the things that surprised you most? What are the things, you know, all this stuff. Right. Where right now we're just kind of rambling. But, that you know. And kind of back on the foul thing, yeah. you could make the arguments that you could, there could potentially be a foul on every single possession. Definitely. And so, and so it's just, it's just obviously really hard for the refs to, uh, to um, decide what to call and not to call. No doubt. And as far in defending the refs on the three-point shot, um, Harden does have a tendency to fall and jump forward when he is shooting the basketball beyond the arc. Now, that's not to say that those there are quite a few actually missed calls, even when he did that. But um, it just Harden does have a tendency to really really exaggerate and um, yeah. flop yeah. and and you may have seen on Twitter the play where Chris Paul like jumped up and sh- like shoved his butt like in a weird angle into Livingston now that was probably to a foul it's just it's just uh, it's just a good video to watch if you are if you or a show if you're trying to defend the refs mm-hmm. in that example yeah well, that's all we got. I'm getting kind of hungry. Kind of want to watch this game. Yeah. Portland's up by 10 right now on the road. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, 13. All right. Thomas Galloway. Noah Galloway. Everyone have a great night.